0: We read the Holy Scriptures in the book of 2 Peter, chapter 1. 2 Peter, chapter 1. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory When there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice, which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. We read the word of God that far. I call your attention to the last three verses of the chapter as our focus by the Holy Ghost. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, this coming week and this month, we are beginning another season of Bible teaching for the children in the catechism class and another season of Bible study for the rest of us. And so I thought it a fitting time for us to be reminded and edified concerning our faith regarding the Bible and regarding the origin of the Bible. After all, why should our children go to catechism? Why should our children have to learn what the Bible says? And why should we gather together once a week in order to study the Bible? In fact, why should we hear a sermon on the Bible today? What is the Bible? and Where did it come from? And why is it so important The word Bible comes from the Greek word for book. So when we say the Bible, all we are saying is the book. It is the book. There's another word for Bible that's found in our text, and that's the word scripture. The word scripture comes from a Latin word that means writing. So when we speak of the scripture, we're speaking of the writing, and when we speak of the Holy Scriptures, then, we're talking about the Holy Writings. For us as Christians, we know that the Bible is fundamental to our faith. It's the source of all that we believe, and it's also the guide for our life. For us as Reformed Christians, that is also part of our confession. In Belgic Confession, Article 2, 3, 4, And five, even beyond six and seven, we have a rich and extensive explanation of what we believe about the Bible. And what we find in that confession of faith is this quote, among others, this word of God was not sent nor delivered by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, as the Apostle Peter saith. So the confession of faith takes its doctrine about Scripture from our text, as well as many other texts. In this epistle, the Apostle Peter wants to put his brethren in remembrance of certain things. He makes that clear in the passage that we read. Verse 15, I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. He wants them to remember certain things. He says, you already know these things, but I want you to remember them. And one of the things he wants them to remember, he mentions in verse 16, it's this, we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We did not do that. We did not follow mythology about Jesus. We did not make up stories about Jesus. Rather, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. Peter reminds them. Peter, James, and John were in that holy mountain of transfiguration when Jesus was surrounded by the cloud of glory and his clothes were transformed in front of their eyes so that he shined brightly like the sun. And a voice came from heaven and said about Jesus, This is my beloved son. Peter says, I heard that with my own ears. We are not making these things up. But then he goes on to say, in our text, verse 19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, more sure than the voice that we heard in the mountain is the word of prophecy that has been given to us in the Scriptures. The Scriptures are a more sure word of God to us than the voice that they heard with their own ears in the mountain. We often think just the opposite would be the case. But Peter says no. The voice that we heard, we heard only once. It was momentary, and then it was gone. It vanished. But the scriptures are a sure word from God that we have with us always. We have a more sure word of prophecy And therefore we do well that we take heed to it, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. So let's consider the text in more depth. Take the theme, the divine origin of scripture, knowing this truth first, taking heed to scripture, and hoping for the dawn of a new day. The Apostle Peter says in verse 20, knowing this first, what must we know first? That no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That we must know first. That the scriptures did not come about by the private interpretations of men, but the scriptures come from God. That we must know first. We must know that first, before we start studying the scriptures, before we take heed to the scriptures, before we believe the scriptures, before we teach the scriptures to our children, before we do anything with the scriptures, we must know this first, that the scriptures do not come from man. The scriptures come from God. Why do we have to know that first? Because if we don't know that, if we don't believe that, or if we forget that, then we will start to wonder after a while, why is it that we study these scriptures? Why do we teach them? Why do we memorize them? Why do we bother with it? Why do we revolve our life around this Bible? Why do I live according to this ancient book? Well, we have to know this first, that the Bible is not a book written from the will of man. But it comes from God. The apostle in the text is talking about scripture. Not any other book. He's talking about scripture, the Bible. Now, it might seem upon a first glance at the text that perhaps Peter is talking about the spoken words of the prophets of old, because He says in verse 21, The prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And he is talking about the spoken word as well. The word that was spoken by these holy men to the nation of Israel in the hundreds of years prior to his life. He's talking about that as well, but that is not his focus in the text. Rather, his focus is on the written word. And we know that because he says in verse 20, no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. He's talking about the scripture. And as we saw, the word scripture means writing. It refers to written words. The scripture. What scripture is he talking about? What writings is he talking about? He's talking about the writings of the prophets of the Old Testament. What we know as the Old Testament. For the Apostle Peter in his time, they didn't speak yet of the Old and New Testament so clearly as we do, but they understood that these writings, which we call the Old Testament, that was the Bible, that was the Scripture. They often referred to it as, The Law and the Prophets and the Writings, or the Law and the Prophets and the Psalms. And those three sections of the Old Testament Scripture are what Peter has in mind in the text. He's not only talking about the prophetic division, the books of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and the 12 minor prophets. You can find all of those books in the Old Testament. Pretty obvious, I think, that he has those in view, perhaps with a special focus in the text, when he talks about the prophecies of the scriptures. He's obviously talking about those books, the great books of Isaiah and Jeremiah and the other prophets. But as I mentioned, the Jews in that day would often just mention one of those three major sections of the Old Testament as a summary for the whole. Sometimes they would speak of the law, and they're referring to the whole Bible, or the prophets referring to the whole Bible, or the writings, the scriptures. Peter has in mind all of the books of the Old Testament in the text. That's on the foreground. And besides, we ought to remind ourselves of the idea of prophecy. Often when we think of prophecy, we think of a message about the future, a foretelling of future events. That's prophecy. We call something prophetic if it tells beforehand things that happen in the future. But that's not the only meaning of the word prophecy. In fact, the broader meaning of the term is any speaking or proclaiming of the revealed word of God. That's prophecy. It's a speaking forth of words that man could not know unless God first revealed it to him. And in that sense, all of the books of the Old Testament are prophecy. We can go back to the book of Genesis. And we can see that already in the very beginning, Moses, who was a prophet, speaks of the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. When he speaks of the promise that God spoke to Adam and Eve, that God would put enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, And he would send the seed of the woman to bruise the head of the serpent. There already is prophecy in Genesis of the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. David wrote most of the Psalms, and David prophesied of the sufferings of Christ when he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? in Psalm 22. He spoke of the resurrection of Christ in Psalm 16. He spoke of the exaltation of Christ in Psalm 110. He spoke of the coming of Christ to judge in Psalm 96. The prophet Isaiah spoke of the coming of the branch. A rod out of the stem of Jesse and a root out of, out of David will come. A king will come in the line of David. And he will have a, a kingdom that will fill the earth. And the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. But this Messiah that comes will be rejected of men and despised. He will be bruised for our iniquities and chastised in our place. All of those scriptures prophesy of the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter has them in mind in the text. But Peter does not merely have in mind the Old Testament scriptures. He surely also has in mind the scriptures that were being written in his own day. What we now know as the New Testament scriptures. Notice in this very epistle in chapter 3 verse 16. Peter says this about the epistles of Paul. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. So Peter speaks of the epistles of Paul, and he groups them together with the other scriptures. He understands that even the writings of his own day by the apostles... We're part of the scriptures that he speaks of in our text. In other words, what he says in the text, he says about the whole Bible. Now what the Apostle Peter says we must know first about this Bible, what is a matter of first importance for us is this, that no prophecy of this scripture is of any private interpretation. When Peter says that, what he means is that the origin of Scripture is not in man. The Apostle is not talking here about our interpretation of the Scriptures. He's not talking about that. He's talking about the origin of the Scriptures. When we see that in the text No prophecy is of any private interpretation. Maybe we would think that he's talking about our interpretation of the Scripture. Maybe we would be confused and think he's saying, none of you may privately interpret the Scripture. He's not saying that. He's not talking about our interpretation of the Scriptures. When it comes to that, we may privately interpret the Scriptures, and we are able to interpret the scriptures way back in the wilderness Moses said this in numbers eleven twenty-nine: 29 would God that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them and that was a prophetic word of Moses in Acts 2 verse 17 we read the apostle Peter said on Pentecost your sons and your daughters shall prophesy In the New Testament, Christ has poured out the Holy Spirit on his church. Every single child of God who has the Holy Spirit in his heart is able to read the scriptures, know the scriptures, and interpret the scriptures. That's the great truth that the Reformers restored from the Roman Catholic Church during the Reformation. The great truth that all believers are in an office of prophet, priest, and king. And all believers are able to read and explain the scriptures. This is not just the ability of pastors or professors of theology or scholars. Every Christian is able to interpret the scriptures. That means, too, that in our private devotions we are able to do that. When we take the Bible and we read it in our private devotions, we're able to interpret it. We're able to understand it and apply it to our lives. That's also the great joy of Bible study, isn't it? When we all gather together, sitting around the table, we don't have the mindset that only the minister is able to explain this text to us, but all of us are able to interpret the passage And that's how we all grow together. We strengthen each other. We edify each other. We never know who might give us an insight into the passage. We are all able to interpret. But that's not what Peter is talking about here. He's not talking about our interpretation of the scriptures. He's talking about the origin of the scriptures. No scripture comes from any private interpretation. That's what he's saying. The scriptures do not arise out of the private opinions, the private beliefs, the private views, and observations of men. We may never say that. We must never say that about any of the scriptures. Notice how emphatic he is. No prophecy. In the original Greek, it's even more emphatic. Every prophecy of the scripture does not come from the private views of men. That's the case with all other books. All other books which are written by men are simply their private interpretations, and you can take it or leave it. You can believe it or reject it. Philosophers, they write their private interpretations of the world, their private interpretations of man, of politics, of ethics, of culture of history, poets, songwriters, novelists. They all write their private interpretations, but that's not the kind of book that the Bible is, according to our text. The apostle tells us why that's not the case in verse 21. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. Scripture did not originate in the will of man. If it originated in the will of man, that would mean that when Moses picked up his pen and wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books, Moses simply decided to do that of his own accord. It was his own brilliant idea to write down those books. And then when he wrote the books, he was simply giving his own opinions. Moses, after all, studied in the palace of Pharaoh in Egypt He experienced the brightest education of the day. He made brilliant observations of the world around him. He studied the mythologies of all the other cultures. And he tied it all together and he wrote down the truth about the creation of the world. No. Peter says no. No. The scriptures did not originate in the will of Moses. They did not originate in the will of David. In the will of Isaiah or Jeremiah or Matthew or Mark or Luke or Paul or John. If that was the case, then we could say that the scriptures have errors, the scriptures have mistakes, the scriptures are surely full of inconsistencies and contradictions. After all, these scriptures just come from the will of man, and we know that man is fallible, we know that man makes mistakes. And therefore why do I have to believe what Moses says when he says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth in six days and the morning and the evening were the first and the second and the third day. I don't have to believe that. That's just Moses' opinion. I don't have to believe what David writes in the Psalms. I can take what I want and leave what I want. Peter says no. The scriptures do not originate in the will of man. Notice, Peter doesn't deny that men wrote the scriptures. He says in verse 21 that holy men of God spake. Men spake, men wrote. Moses wrote those books. He had a pen in his hand and he wrote down on paper those books. David wrote those Psalms Matthew, Mark, Luke, and all the others. They wrote those books. He's not denying either that these men had certain personalities, certain gifts, certain talents, certain experiences. They lived at different times and different places and different cultures. They had different perspectives. They wrote about different things. But while all of that is true, the scriptures, none of the scriptures, came about by the will of man. Rather, holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The origin of Scripture is the Holy Ghost, and the Holy Ghost is God. The rest of the Bible makes clear that the Holy Ghost is God. He is one of the persons of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Peter points out that the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, is the one who moved those holy men to write and to speak what they wrote. Now that's a very strong word in the text when he says they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That word moved appears in other texts of scripture. For example, Acts 27 verse 15. And there we read about a ship in the Mediterranean Sea that was sailing through a violent storm. And we are told that the sailors could no longer steer the ship. This way or that way. The water was so rough and the waves so violent. So the text says, We let her drive. We let the ship drive. They had to let go of the oars and the sails and just let the ship drive. And the wind moved it through the sea according to its own will. That's the word in our text as well. The Holy Spirit moved these men. It wasn't their ideas. It wasn't their interpretations. It wasn't their decision. The Holy Spirit moved them. He impelled them. He propelled them as the wind moves a ship through the sea, irresistibly, powerfully. So that they did exactly what the Holy Spirit wanted them to do. And they wrote exactly what he wanted them to write. Now that means more broadly that the Holy Spirit prepared those men, those holy men. He prepared the whole of their life, all of their circumstances, all of their gifts, all of their skills and experiences. Moses writes very differently than John. Isaiah writes differently than Matthew. They're all different. And that's what makes Scripture a very rich and beautiful book. How all of these writers are in perfect harmony and consistency with each other, and yet they're very different in their styles. The Holy Spirit prepared them. The Holy Spirit also revealed to them what God wanted them to know in many different ways, sometimes through dreams or visions, sometimes through direct speech he made known to them God's word, sometimes through eyewitness and eyewitness testimony, And in other mysterious ways, the Holy Spirit made known to them the word of God, and then he moved them to write it. The idea of the apostle, then, is that when the Holy Ghost moved these men to write, what they wrote was not their own word, but the word of God. The scriptures come from God. Now this is the great truth of the inspiration of the scriptures. We find that also mentioned in 2 Timothy 3 where Paul says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. All scripture. Peter is saying the same thing in this text. And that truth of the inspiration of scripture is a great mystery to us. How can this be? That the Holy Spirit is the one who moved them to write down God's word, and yet they wrote it. And they wrote it out of their own understandings and out of their own minds and through their own experiences. It's a great mystery. So that these men do not get any of the credit for what they wrote, but all the glory is God's. It's similar to the mystery of salvation, isn't it? That too is a great mystery. God is absolutely sovereign over our salvation. God moves us. God works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. But then when God moves us, we actually believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and we actually repent of our sins. It's a mystery, but they're both true. And we don't get any of the glory in salvation. The scriptures come from God. And that means that the Bible is infallible, inerrant. There are no mistakes in the Bible. There can't be any mistakes. Because the Holy Spirit is the one who moved all of these different men to write what he wanted them to write. So if someone of the world asks you, how do you know that the Bible is the Word of God? How do you know that? How can you be so sure? The answer that you can give is I know that the Bible is the Word of God because the Bible says it is the Word of God. We are proving from the Bible in our text that the Bible is the Word of God. How do we know that? Because the Bible tells us. And they'll say, Well, you're arguing in a circle. And you can simply say, Yes, but then you can also add to them, add to that. And now I challenge you to read the Bible yourself. And as you read the Bible, if the Holy Spirit works in your heart, you will see that within the Bible are the proofs that the Bible is true and that the Bible is from God. That's what our Belgic Confession says. We know that these books come from God because they contain in themselves the very proofs and evidence that they are from God and not from man. And some of the great evidences in the Bible itself is the great harmony between all of these different writers. Another evidence is how all of these prophecies of old have been fulfilled in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. Time and time again, the New Testament shows how this scripture was fulfilled and that scripture was fulfilled. Scriptures have the proof in themselves that they come from God. But ultimately, we can only believe that if the same Holy Spirit who inspired them works in our hearts to believe. This we must know first. And knowing this first, we are to take heed to the scriptures. The apostle gives that practical application in verse 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. Imagine yourself in a dark place. Maybe Imagine yourself in Toronto, an unfamiliar place at night, the big city, a smoky, hazy part of the city around sunset, and it's getting dark, and there aren't any lights in the street, and you don't know where you are, and you've gotten separated from your group, and you're lost down some side street, and it's getting darker and darker. You're groping along the walls, trying to find your way, but you are just lost stumbling through the dark. But then you discover a flashlight. Would you do well to pick up that flashlight? Would you do well to turn it on, to shine it in that dark place? Absolutely, you would immediately grab hold of that flashlight and be very thankful that you have found a light to shine in this dark place And as soon as you turn that light on, immediately your fears will begin to abate as you can see the way forward and the way that you must go back to your group. You'd be very foolish if you would not pick up the flashlight or if you would cast it away or if you would refuse to turn it on, you would hold tightly to it, shine it, so that you may know the way that you must go. The Apostle Peter is talking about that in the text. You do well that you take heed to it as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. The scriptures are that light. We live in a dark place. We live in a place much worse than one area of a big city. We live in this fallen, wicked, sinful world. We live in a world of darkness. A world dominated by sin and evil. A world where the devil reigns and roams and carries out his will and builds his kingdom. Where he lurks with his deceptions and temptations. Where he longs to fill us with doubts and fears and to lead us astray into our lusts and our pride and anger. He wants to destroy us spiritually. He wants to fill our hearts with terror and fear. But God gives us the scriptures. He gives us The Bible as a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And the Apostle says in our text, Ye do well that ye take heed unto it, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. This is an encouragement to us as we begin our season of Bible study and catechism that we do well to take heed to the Scriptures. We do well. To take hold of the Bible, children, to take hold of our catechism books, to take hold of our memory verses, and to spend time with it, and to study it, and to memorize it, and to put it into our minds and into our hearts. We do well to do that, because as we grow older, that will be able to shine a light on our path and guide us in our life. We do well to take heed to the Bible in our personal lives in our private lives? Do you have a Bible in your house? Do you have a Bible by your bedside? Do you have a Bible that you open, that you read, that you study? Do you take heed to it? Do you explore it? Do you want to understand it? Do you read it regularly? If you do not, then it's as if that flashlight is right there, but you refuse to turn it on. We do well to take heed to the scriptures and to read them and study them and apply them to our lives. We do well to take the opportunity to come to Bible study as our congregation presents us the opportunity in young peoples and young adults and adults to come together with our brothers and sisters in Christ, to open the scriptures, to read them together, to study and to discuss, to sharpen and to edify, to comfort and to exhort each other. That book is a light unto our path. We do well to come to church on the Lord's Day. One of the reasons we come to church is because there we can have the opening and reading and preaching of the scriptures. Do we come to church on the Lord's Day eager to hear the reading of the word of God and to hear the preaching of the word of God? knowing that that is the light that I need in this dark place. All week long, we live in that darkness out there. We're surrounded by those temptations, those fears, those doubts, those sins. And God says, come to my house on the Lord's day, and I will shine the light of my word into your life. We do well to take heed to the scriptures. In all of our life, we do well because the scriptures speak of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the central message of the whole Bible. The old points forward to him, and the new points back to him and forward to him. The whole Bible revolves around Jesus Christ and points to Jesus Christ. Jesus is the true light the true light of the world who shines in this dark place. Jesus is the one who shines in our hearts to give us, through the scriptures, the knowledge of the glory of God and his face. Jesus shines out from the pages of scripture to comfort us in all of our sorrows, all of our trials, to encourage us, to guide us, to rebuke us, To admonish us and to make known to us the gospel of the forgiveness of our sins through his precious blood. Take heed to the scriptures. This is our light. And taking heed to the scriptures, we hope for the dawning of a new day. The apostle indicates that hope when he says that we are to take heed to these scriptures. As unto a light, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. There, the apostle describes all of our life in this world as being in this dark place at night. It's nighttime. As long as we live in this world, we live in the nighttime, we live in the darkness. Christ is shining through the Scriptures. He gives us that light, but it's still in the midst of the darkness. We're waiting, we're longing, we're hoping for the dawn of the day, the new day. When you wander in the darkness, you're hoping for the morning to come. You're hoping for the rising of the sun. And you know that before the rising of the sun, if the sky is clear, you will see first the day star rising up in the sky, a bright, shining jewel in the morning sky. That's what we're looking for. That's what we're hoping for. And that dawning of the new day is a picture of the day of eternal life. It's a picture of the day when we will finish running our course, finish plunging through the darkness of this life, when we depart from this world through death, and awake in the glorious light of heaven. That will be the dawning of our day, personally. But then we're especially waiting for the dawning of the everlasting day when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, when he creates a new heavens and a new earth, raises our bodies from the dead, and brings us into paradise to dwell with him, to dwell with God for all eternity. That will be The everlasting day. There will never be another night. There will be no darkness there, but eternal light. The Apostle Peter tells us in the text, Take heed to the scriptures. Take hold of them. Read them. Study them. Be guided by them and comforted by them. With your eye hoping for the dawning of that new day. When you will never need the scriptures again. The scripture is the light that God gives to us in this life. We will no longer need the scriptures in the new heavens, and the new earth. When that day comes, the day star will arise in our hearts. That day star, that bright shining jewel that you sometimes see in the morning sky, just before the sunrise, is a picture of, Of Jesus Christ. And when you see it, think of Him. In Revelation 22, verse 16, Jesus calls Himself the Day Star. He is the morning star. But Peter says, When that great day dawns, the day star will arise in our hearts. In our hearts that means we will no longer need the scriptures ever again. It's true, Jesus is already in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, but he's only given us the Holy Spirit as an earnest, as a down payment, as a a guarantee. But when the day dawns, the day of eternity, he will shine in our hearts with incredible brightness, such great brightness, and we will not need the scriptures ever again. Now, the Apostle writes in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12, Now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know even as I am known. The Scripture is our lamp and light for this life. Take heed to it until the Lord brings us into the everlasting day. And we will never need the scriptures again, but we will walk by sight. We won't need a revelation like this, because we will see God in the face of Jesus Christ. We will know God face to face for all eternity. That's our hope. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for that joyous hope. We thank Thee for the promise of the dawning of that new day. We thank Thee that as long as we live in this darkness, Thou hast given us a lamp and a light to our feet. Forgive us, Father, if we have neglected Thy Word, if we have neglected the Scriptures. Fill us with a joyful eagerness to take up the Scripture, to read it, and to follow its guidance. Grant that we might have a zeal to come to catechism, to Bible study, to church church, and also to read scripture.